Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. This sermon is from the life of the church. For more messages like this, please see our website www.venturechurch.co.za. We hope you enjoy this message. So we're going to be uh, looking at the letter to the Colossians. And uh, we've been spending a little bit of time, the, those of us who have the privilege of, of preaching, just spending some time massaging that letter into ourselves, looking at the themes, some of the themes that crop up in it, some of uh, doing a whole lot of preparation and seeing some of what we feel God is wanting to share with us as His body, Venture Church. And uh, so there is going to, we're going to not just be preaching on Sundays, we're also going to try and make use of this wonderful resource we now have on the website and put up some, some blog posts. Um, there's nothing up yet, but the first piece of uh, writing that we've done is, I, as part of my preparation, I spent time translating um, Colossians. So there is a, a translation of Colossians. If you sometimes look at when we have the, the, uh, the slides up, and the, it says at the bottom, usually in the bottom right-hand corner, the version that we're reading from. Sometimes if you don't recognize those things, it's interesting to find out what version, and sometimes when it says FJT, that's because I've been looking at the original text, and that is my Francis Judge translation. It's just a little inside joke we have. So we have a different translation of Colossians available. If you're interested, please let us know. I'll send you the PDF. It's possibly a little bit big to put up uh, as a blog post because it just goes on. That's what Infinite Scroll was created for. But why, so why another, why another translation? Every time a new Bible version comes out, that question's asked. So in this case, for me, to help me focus on every single word that God has uh, recorded for us that we understand as the book of Colossians, to force me to see what does it actually say. And sometimes in translating that, it's helpful to use a different word to the word that's used in most of our translations, not because those are wrong, but because words in one language don't have identical meanings in another language. I mean, how do we all know that? Our first and second languages, and we have a wonderful multilingual um, context, country that we live in. So we're hearing new languages, and most of us are at least vaguely familiar with a second language, and we know this truth. So it's great sometimes to just get that other flavor wrapped in there. It's not that the one is wrong and the other is right. Life is rarely as uh, simple and clean and clear as that. But So if you're interested, please drop me a, a, an email and I will happily um, send the PDF to you. So we're trying to supplement our preachers. So what is Colossians? And where is Colossians? <laughs> Colossians, the word Colossians, means the people who were living in a place called Colossi, which is in what is now modern Western Turkey. 
in a, if you want to pull out your Google Maps, I won't fight with you, or your whatever the, the Apple version is, um, and have a look. You look for the Lycus Valley. So the Lycus is a massive river. It flows out through Ephesus. Ephesus in the time of Paul used to be almost on the coast. 250, 300 years before Paul, it was on the coast. And now, today, it's 50 kilometers inland because this is such a big river. It's left such a deposit of stuff that it's um, pulled down from the var its various tributaries that 50 kilometers of uh, land has been naturally reclaimed. So Ephesus, which used to be a port town, then they, they, they built a little village, well, it was a port city. Then they built a little village called Miletus, if you remember that name from reading the book of Acts, it's where Paul calls the Ephesian elders and meets them on the beach. Why? Because the beach had moved from Ephesus. But inland from Ephesus, as you go through the mountains where the river cuts through and you go back up, there is a whole uh, group of cities, or they were cities at that time. Seven of them are mentioned, well, six of them plus Ephesus are mentioned by John in the book of Revelation. Those seven churches that he writes to aren't, um, aren't arbitrary. They're not like one here, one there. One. They were geographically close, and they were the churches that he was working into. But it was Paul who went to that area first. Interestingly enough, and if, if you've uh, noticed the fact that the, the order of the letters in our Bibles goes Ephesians, Colossians. It's, it's not actually by accident. And if you've read the two of them, one after the other, so if you're making use of a Bible reading plan and you read straight from Ephesians into Colossians, you'll see that they have very similar themes. One of the reasons for that is because they were written probably one straight after the other. And so the things that were on Paul's heart when he wrote the one flowed over into the other, and yet they were unique. So Colossians, or Colossi, which is the name of the city, was not mentioned, was not one of the seven churches of Rome. But there were a group of three churches, or three cities, which had church plants at very similar times, one of the others of which is mentioned there. So you have Colossi, and close to Colossae, there's a city called Hierapolis. And close to the city of Hierapolis is the city of Laodicea. And in fact, and we'll get to, the, get to this again just now, as in, in about 12 weeks' time, when you get to the end of Colossians, he says to them, please make sure that you share this letter that I've written to you with the church at Hierapolis and the church in Laodicea and make sure you get hold of the letter from Laodicea and read that too. Now, isn't that interesting? Paul wrote other letters. Some of them we know about, some of them we don't, that have not survived. And here is a letter to the Laodiceans. About 300 years later, somebody wrote the Paul's letter to the Laodiceans. 
and claimed that it was from Paul, and then he got thrown out of the church for lying. Surprise, surprise. There's also, if you read uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about another letter that he had written after 1 Corinthians. So whether it's 1.5 Corinthians, I don't know. Or whether 2 Corinthians should actually be 3 Corinthians, I also don't know. But there were other letters. Letters were incredibly important to Paul for how he talked to the churches that he knew, and as we're going to see just now, those he also didn't know, but he knew by relationship. It's incredible. Today, we, we do a lot of communicating via written form. Paul did too. It's, it's interesting because these letters, Ephesians, Colossians, and actually almost all of them, seem to have been written when he was in prison. It's almost like the, the Lord took the opportunity, because he had slowed down a bit, to record stuff that he was obviously saying all the time, but record it for those of us who would not have personal access to Paul. I don't think that he deliberately sat down and thought, sure, oh, this is great stuff, Lord. I, I, I need to record this for, um, for that funny church, Venture Church in Johannesburg, wherever that is, Africa. Way down over the Sahara. Cool, can anybody, is there anything over the Sahara? <laughs> 2,000 years later, God was able to bring something good out of Paul's imprisonments. And it's amazing to realize that these letters, the 15 that we have, were the results primarily of him being in prison, being unable to go and see people face to face. Just like we had to learn at school how to write a letter, I assume they still do, but um, you ha the, the, there's a certain formula to how you write a letter. This was also real for letter writers of the day, of Paul's time. And one of the most amazing discoveries of this, well, of the last hundred years, is an Egyptian rubber sheep. Because Egypt has a particular climate. It's super warm and super dry, except when the Nile overflood, overflows. But the excitement about discovering this rubbish heap was the fact that a, there was a lot of thrown away correspondence. Some of it was government, there were even marriage contracts in there which were old and, and defunct. But there was a lot of personal correspondence in there. And I mean very normal correspondence. Some young man, for instance, writing back to his father, uh, living, he was serving somewhere in, in what we would call Turkey and in Asia Minor, writing back to his father and saying, full of spelling mistakes and all of the kind of stuff that you would expect in a personal letter. And yet, those letters we would recognize immediately as letters. They look very similar to what we're going to read just now from the beginning of Colossians. They had the same uh, structure. They had a, this is who's writing this letter. And I, 
I pray the God's blessings on you, or if it's Paul, I pray the God's blessings on you. And then this is what I want to say to you. And then at the end, please will you say hi and hi to so and so and so. All these letters had very similar structures and, and, and features to them. By the time that uh, Paul writes this letter to Colossae, or to the Colossians in Colossae, Colossae has seen its heyday. It's a city on the decline. It was on the major route from the east to the west, and obviously by implication from the west to the east, but there was masses of trade that came through it from the east. If you, if you look at a map, you'll see that there's a lot of mountains on that western side of, of Turkey. And the roads couldn't go straight like Roman roads like to go. They had to follow the terrain, and there were certain places where it was much easier to build and maintain them and to protect them. And Colossae was one of those. It, it had actually been, it was such a natural um, spot for a road to go that it had actually thrived for the previous 500 years before Paul. And now because uh, shipping was safer and easier and because of the other Roman roads, it had started to see a bit of a decline. But it was still an important city in the area. Sorry, I've jumped back, back and forth between what it was and talking about letters. So I just want to make one or two other comments about letters and then we're going we're gonna to read some of the beginning of this letter. Letters were super important in, in the ancient times. There was no postal service either. All letters were delivered personally. So we get to see as well some of Paul's companions. Because Paul says, I'm sending this by the hand of so-and-so, or so-and-so wrote this letter down for me. There was a tremendous um, community around sending letters. And we've lost some of that. When I... You know, we mentioned already about the fact that we still write letters, but we use email a hang of a lot. And email is uh, a much less formal. I mean, how many emails do you receive a day that don't even say, Dear Francis? They just start. <laughs> so some of this art has been lost. Some of the, the, the formality has been lost. Why? With email, it's because... It's, you've got a subject line and you've, you've got to send it to someone or to a group of people. And then WhatsApp is the same. WhatsApp at least is a little bit longer. When SMS was the primary uh, means of communication, I, have a, I had a feeling that our language was starting to go backwards. We were starting to write Hebrew, drop every vowel out of every word. So just because you only had 80 characters to be able to send. So WhatsApp has actually helped save us, or not. So we've lost some of that, and, and there is a need for some kind of etiquette in terms of how we speak. You can't write a whole sentence in emojis, despite what some people believe. And thank the Lord that, thank the Lord that Paul didn't try, though some of the ways he says things um, leave us a little confused as to what does this particular phrase, what does this emoji actually mean? But the bottom line is that we have this record of these 15 letters that he wrote 
in which he reveals not his theology, but his passion for the reality of the God who saved him. So let's read together from Colossians 1. Ah, thank you guys, well done. You can see the FJT right behind the drums there. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus through God's will and Timothy the brother, to those in Colossae, holy and faithful brothers in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father, who it's from, who is with him, and who it's to. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, always concerning you while we're praying. Having heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and the love for which and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope stored up or stored away for you in the heavens, the hope which you heard beforehand in the message of the truth from the gospel, which is present among you, just as it's also which is present among you, just as it also is in the whole world, bearing fruit and increasing just as it also has among you from the first day you heard about it and truly recognize the grace of God. You learned it in this way from Epaphras, our beloved fellow slave, a faithful servant on our behalf of Christ who made clear our love for you in the Spirit. There's this name mentioned in there, and this is also part of the formula. So there's, who's it from? Who's it to? And a, and a blessing. And then there's this introductory paragraph in all the letters, if you read through them, where he, he says, I'm really excited about this. I've heard about you. Often I'm praying for you. There's some connection here, and we pray the blessing of God upon you, and this is who Jesus is. It's kind of the way he starts many of it, most of his letters. There's really only Galatians when he doesn't do that, where he's, he just can't wait to get into what he needs to say. And it kind of skips over that a little bit, comes back to it right at the end. But here he's saying, isn't Jesus amazing? You heard about him from this chap, Epaphras. And in fact, he goes on, he says, you heard, we've heard of your faith, the faith that you heard about through the word of Epaphras. So actually, it seems clear that Paul had never been to Colossae. This was a church that had been planted by this chap, Epaphras, who Paul now knows. Somehow Epaphras has visited him, and seeing as um, Paul is probably in prison in Rome at this time, there had been quite a significant journey to get there. But it, was, it seems like it was Epaphras who planted the church in, uh, in Colossae, and probably Hierapolis, and probably Laodicea as well. So isn't that, I mean, isn't that interesting? Because Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus. And even in, as part of that, um, what Acts has to say about the time that he spent in, in Ephesus, he also says the whole region heard the word of God. But it wasn't directly through Paul himself. It was through those whom Paul 
impacted, took that message, and they made a massive impact wherever they were in that whole region. And it's quite a trip from Ephesus up to Colossae, through the mountains and up, up the river. So Paul didn't personally know the Colossians, and yet he's writing this letter to them. Why? It seems like it's because of the relationship that he had with Epaphras. Well, I mean, we don't know very much about that, but we do know that Paul knew Epaphras because he mentions him here right in the first paragraph of the letter, and then he mentions him again right at the end. And actually, he mentions him in the, uh, in the letter to Philemon. I'm going to say something more about that just now, but I don't want to jump ahead. So Paul's relationship with the Colossians that he writes in a way to, in the same way that he writes to all the other churches. Let's be specific. So he writes almost the same thing to the Colossians, who he had never met in person, that he writes to the Ephesians, who he knew well and he knew personally. What does that mean? There's, I mean, there's some, some interesting things in there. Surely it means that for Paul, relationship was more important than his function as an apostle or his title as an apostle, if, if you want to think of it like that. I don't think that that's actually a valid way that Paul would have thought, even though he calls himself Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. It's the way he starts all his letters. But for him, I don't think that calling himself an apostle was ever a title. That's an interesting thought. And he certainly, with the Colossians, never gets around to saying, hey, um, you guys, I'm the apostle who sent Epaphras or who, or who influenced Epaphras. He's, he was my lieutenant. I sent him to you. Never does that. You learned this gospel from Epaphras, a faithful servant, a faithful brother in Christ Jesus. He recognizes that he has a particular sphere of influence and that his influence was on Epaphras, but that it was Epaphras who ran with the call of God, ran with the word of God and influenced the Colossians so that they came to know Jesus because of the same word preached through his brother. It's an interesting picture. He lives out the reality of what we like to talk about as friendship before function. He did not lord it over Epaphras in any way. He acknowledges, he even promotes uh, Epaphras as saying, it was through him that you heard the gospel in the first place. So why did Epaphras go to see Paul? Well, it'd be nice to be able to ask him, and maybe one day we will. But there's a few things we can uh, we can glean from reading through both Colossians and Philemon. He obviously wanted to connect with the apostle again. He'd obviously sat under his ministry in Ephesus, heard that he was in prison in Rome. Maybe he was on a business trip to Rome. Maybe he went there specifically to see Paul. But he had gone there to connect with him personally. Listen to the language. It's all about relationship. It's not about Oh, it's about time I went and did a report back to the big boss. 
who's now, uh, you know, in trouble in, in Rome. He went because of relationship. He probably went to get some perspective on some issues, problem people, and how to deal with some deviant doctrine. Because those are the kind of things that crop up during the letter. So he went to get perspective. It's also possible that he stayed longer than he originally intended because it seems like he he was there for a while and it also seems like he got sick while he was there Uh, but he recovered and he still didn't rush back home so he definitely seems to stay longer it also seems possible that Paul recognized something more in him and so took the opportunity to equip him for this uh, translocal beyond just the the, the local church environment so that he could be more impactful so that the sphere and the capacity of, of what God had placed in him could be more effective beyond just the, the three churches. I mean, even the fact that it was three churches that he established in three separate cities talks to that. So Paul, Epaphras went to Paul because of relationship, to see how he was and to get some perspective. And Paul recognized something more in him, so he stayed a bit longer than uh, he probably originally intended. But did he return to Colossae? Well, the answer seems to be yes. And funnily enough, this is the first piece that comes out of, um, that comes out of Philemon. So Philemon's awkward because it has no chapters. It has one chapter. But right at the end of of, uh, the letter to Philemon, he says, greet greet Epaphras for me. So it seems like Epaphras did go back, did leave Paul, did go back to Colossae. But that raises an interesting point. Was he the leader of that church? Well, again, Philemon seems to answer that. Philemon is an amazing uh, letter. It is the most personal of Paul's letters. It is written to one person about a specific event. So the events of, of Philemon are quite simple. Who was Philemon? Philemon seems to be the guy who led the church in Colossae. And he had a slave. Let's get just avoid all the awkwardness in con- cu- current cultural context of talking about the fact that he had a slave. It was completely normal at the time. That slave had run away, and that slave's name was Onesimus. Onos- Onesimus had run away. Somehow he had ended up in Rome and met Paul, got radically saved. Now, there's a beautiful play on words in the name of Onesimus. Onesimus in Greek means useful. And Paul plays on his name when he's writing to Philemon and saying, my conscience tells me, even though I don't want to send this guy who was useless to you back to you, because he has become exceedingly useful to me and to the gospel, but I believe it's right to send him back to you. And I believe that you will receive him not as a runaway slave, who legally he could have had executed, but that you would receive him as the brother that he now is. And tradition tells us 
that that is exactly what happened and that Onesimus became incredibly influential in that area. But like I say, at the end, Paul writing to Philemon, having laid out all this stuff about Onesimus, says, please greet Epaphras as well. So Epaphras remained in that church, but not as the lead guy. That is, in one sense, totally unintuitive, counter our understanding of how organizational church is. But if we embrace the first reality that Paul and Epaphras had relationship, that Paul didn't lord it over Epaphras, then Epaphras would have been able to recognize that even though he planted those churches, he not, was not necessarily called to lead those churches and so could be effective as part of the church. Wow, that was a lot of stuff. So, what am I saying? I've already gone through this, this idea of how authority flowed through relationship between Epaphras and Paul, and then Paul, and then Epaphras and Philemon within the church at Colossae. Paul recognizes, and it only comes out as an aside here, that the local church, God has anointed or apportioned, apportioned, appointed, one of those words, that it be the local seat of authority and that the local eldership is the group, the team responsible before God. So, I mean, responsibility has to be to someone. And the church is not a democracy. And I understand that that is politically incorrect and there's beautiful irony in there. But the responsibility of the eldership is first to God. And because it's to God, it is to the congregation as a whole. Leadership in the church is a, is a bizarre thing because leaders are leaders, but they're also sheep. Leaders are shepherds, but those shepherds are also sheep. All the leaders in this church, we have, we have sheep needs and leadership needs. We have many of the same needs that you do. So we are truly brothers and sisters. We are truly a family before God, but we have different relationships. We have different roles within those relationships. And yet we are called to be one family together. Paul recognized that. He didn't command either the Ephesians, the church that he had planted, or the Colossians, the church that he hadn't planted, even though you could possibly call it a satellite church. It's not how he thought about it. It's not how he talked about it. He recognized God's uh, authority in that local church. Out of that comes this recognition. And out of how Epaphras seems to have functioned within Colossae comes this recognition that there is a difference between the gift ministries that Jesus gives. The five most obvious are the five that we find in Ephesians 4. Four, five, four, four. The, those preaching gifts there. Those are different fundamentally in nature to the leadership gifts or the leadership roles expressed in eldership, deaconship, 
to which we've, we have, and this is a discussion for another day, legitimately added other dimensions of leadership, leading worship, and leading Kid City, leading, leading, leading. Why? Because God wants us to be influential, but we do it together as those who have been delegated authority within these different roles. So there is a difference between the gift ministries of Jesus and, for instance, eldership or deaconship. If I'm a deacon in this church and I visit another church, am I a deacon there? But if God has given me the gift ministry of teaching and I go to another church, am I a teacher? Yes, even if I'm not received or recognized or if even if I don't exercise my teaching gift in that context, I remain a teacher. So we need to understand that and recognize those distinctions in order to be able to fulfill the full calling of God on us. Venture Church, that Epaphras understood in the Colossians church. So just like Epaphras went to uh, see Paul in Rome to get a perspective from Paul the Apostle, an apostolic perspective, we still need to get apostolic perspective. And that's why we have gifts, apostolic gifts, invited into the local church. And when we have the privilege of having Kenny or Maureen or like we do in a month's time, Brent Bradding with us, these are gifts that are invited into the local church. When they stand up and say thank you to the elders for inviting us and giving us this opportunity, that's not lip service. They're not just being nice. They're not trying to butter us up. It is an affirmation of how God's authority works in the local church. Why do we have them in then? Not because we're, doing, we're having some official checkup from head office. We're getting apostolic perspective. And apostolic perspective gives the bigger picture, brings security, establishes things. I'm not going to talk any more about that today, but the gifts work differently, but we have to work together. If you're seeking to fulfill your calling then you can live a life that really counts and leave a legacy that can last for generations. That was, that's the reality that came out of Paul's letters. If you, if you want your faith to mean something, then you need to give yourself to the gifts that God has given you to. In other words, give yourself to God and express that through the gifts that he has given you. And he makes our lives significant. But we can only do that as we give ourselves to the gifting that he's put inside us. And we can only do that in the context of relationship. Also, he talks at the end of Colossians about Epaphras. I can testify that he prayed for you. He was super sick and he was worried when you heard that he was super sick, but he never stopped praying for you. And because of his prayers, there was, a, there was a fruit, a harvest that came that he didn't see, came amongst you. You, were, you became rooted. 
your faith was restored. You were able to push in and be secure because of his praise. Paul says, I can testify that's true of him. Even when he was really super sick and we thought we were going to lose him, he kept praying for you. I encourage you, if you want to be significant, pray. And don't pray small, pray big. And pray big does not necessarily mean praying about big things. It means praying wide and deep. It means praying for the nations. Um, I already quoted this thing from Colossians 4.12 where uh, Paul commends Epaphras for his apostolic, um, even though he was an evangelist, he had this big heart. Uh, and all, there is always that wonderful messianic psalm, Psalm 2 verse 8, which tells us, told originally Jesus, but it tells us as those who believe in Jesus, ask of me. Ask of God for the nations, and I'll give them to you as your inheritance. That's what, that's what praying big means. God's, God in you is bigger than you can even begin to be imagined. And get equipped. If you, if you believe that, that God has given you the gift of an evangelist to be a teacher, to be part of, of the leadership, good. Part of our culture tells us we shouldn't promote ourselves. That's, that's arrogance. How do we know that you aspire to leadership if you don't tell us? You may, of course, be wrong, but we can, we can work that through together. But if you don't tell us, then nobody knows. You may know, you may think, that you're an evangelist, but actually the fruit of a pastor is in your life. Together, we can find what God has called you to be. And it's very rare if somebody aspires to leadership that they have no leadership ability, no leadership gifting, because you don't usually aspire to be something that you hate, that you feel no gifting, no love, no passion for at all. I'd like to, I'd like to challenge us as I, as I finish by asking this, or asking you to abandon empty trains of thought, lines of thought, where you disqualify yourself. Why do we, why do we know about this chap called Epaphras? the, I think, five times that he's mentioned in the Bible. Because he, he just did what he believed God's called, God had called him to. And he did it because of Paul, and he did it in relationship with Paul. So if he had, had, a, if he had allowed empty lines of thought to fill his mind when he was sitting at home in Ephesus, what would he have amounted to? And the second thing, the positive challenge I'd like to bring to you is to take a stand and let God use you like he used Paul. One of the things Paul is most keen to tell us is how ill-qualified and unuseful he was to God. 
until Jesus got hold of him. Can I ask you to stand? I'd like to lead us in a brief prayer, and then I'd like, I'd like us to respond to God. So can I ask you to close your eyes so that you can do business with Jesus? Because just now when I ask you to respond, I don't want you to respond to me or any man. I want you to respond to the conviction that God has placed in your heart for what he has spoken into your heart, into your life. Lord, as we stand before you right now, we acknowledge you. And because, because of you, we are not who we were. Because of you, we are children of the Most High God. And part of that, you have deposited gifts, anointings, calling into our lives. You've called us to this place at this time to be Venture Church, your body, Lord Jesus. We want to respond to what we, what we recognize in the life of um, Epaphras. What we see, what we understand from, from, from what Paul tells us of him. And we, we want to be like him in that we want to run with what you've put in us. And so we respond to you in faith. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it was a blessing to you. If you want to connect with us further, log on to our website, venturechurch.co.za or connect with us on our various social pages, Instagram and Facebook.